the God who we just uh, worshipped and offered praise to delights in us representing him. Think about it. He could get the job done through angels, but he chooses ordinary folks like you and I to be his ambassadors. In fact, we're referred to in the Bible as ambassadors for Christ. If you're an ambassador for the United States of America, this would be a great privilege, wouldn't it? Well, ours is even a greater privilege to represent the king above all kings is really, really wonderful. And when God gives the opportunity to do, some, do so, it's exhilarating, and you want to tell others about it. And so I had that uh, opportunity this week to hear the stories of some of our members who uh, took advantage of opportunities God gave them to represent him. And I coerced them uh, into coming tonight so as to share with you, kind of spread the blessing of how God uh, used them to speak of him to others. And so our first victim, I mean our first uh, wonderful lady, is uh, B. Brockhausen. And B, could you join me over here? B is the better half of Kurt Brockhausen, who sits there. And they are both long-term members of Sagemont, wonderful people most of the time. And uh, B, you had... Uh, a need for a hair appointment uh, not too long ago, and tell us what developed as a result. You know, I think that this all started about five years ago. I met this lady, and we really kind of hit it off, and she says, hey, next time you need a haircut, come into my shop. Here's my card. And so I said, okay, lost her card, couldn't find it, found it one time, misplaced it again, and didn't know her name, didn't even know her, the name of her shop. So Friday, I decided I'm going to go get a haircut, and that's it. And so I looked in the phone book, and I remembered from where she said that maybe her shop might be, and I called, and it was that. And she says, oh, but honey, she says, I do remember you, but I can't get you in today. I am just so busy. I can't get you in. And I said, okay, maybe next week. And few minutes, the phone rang, and she says, if you can come now, we can get you in. I said, okay, I'm on my way. So I got there, and there was so many interruptions and everything. There was one little lady in there that she had a long-standing appointment, but it was the first appointment of the day. Well, by this time, it's 1 o'clock in the afternoon. She had chose to come in late. And with all the interruptions that the operator had, well, it gave us a chance to just stand there and sit there and talk, and so we did, and found out that she was going to the banquet last night, and she loved the music group and all that, and, you know, we just kind of chit-chatted, and so I said to her, I said, well, where do you go to church? And she says, oh, I don't, and I go, oh, well, that's okay, I said, <laughs> you know, and she said, uh, I'm just not a church girl, and I go, oh, okay. You know, and so something else, their conversation just kind of went on. And, and I said to her, something in the back of my mind kept saying, tell her the 40 words. <laughs> and I'm like, she's going to Sagemont tomorrow night. She probably knows the 40 words. And I'm like, no, that, that wouldn't make any sense. Finally, something said, tell her the 40 words. <laughs> and I'm like... Okay, I said, let me tell you about the greatest thing that ever happened to me. Nice. It's when I discovered that Christ was willing to forgive my sins through, the, uh, through his son, Jesus Christ, and, and the death on the cross in my place. And she just looked at me for about a good 10 seconds, and she said, that's very good. 
And I go, thank you. We have a wonderful teaching. <laughs> and so then I go off to tell her a little about Stuart that, you know, we have Wednesday night. And she just, all this time, she's just staring at me. And <laughs> so anyway, uh, things cleared out. And the operator was, got around to me. And she said, I said, tell me about that girl. She says, she's not a church girl. She says, she's not. She's an atheist. And I go, oh, <laughs> okay. And she said, um, even when her husband was uh, at his funeral, she would not allow a prayer to be said. And some, some lady came up to her and said, I am so sorry for your loss. I'll be praying for you. And very belligerently, she said, don't give me any of that religion stuff. And don't pray for me. I don't need your prayers. So, what I'd like to do is ask the church, and we're going to call her Grace, because yeah. by the grace of God, she is going to have a turnaround. Wonderful, wonderful. And, and be, um, she was not supposed to be there. Am I right about this on no, this day? She, the, she never would come in, only on the first appointment. And you decided to go because you were going to visit, I think you said, some relatives and yeah, wanted to have... I had an appointment in Austin for next Tuesday, so... But I got up, and it was just like, I'm going. So this was, I guess you believe, arranged by God. Five years ago. Wonderful. Absolutely wonderful. By the way, your hair looks great. Oh, thank you. Yeah. So, so we will pray for grace. Let's do so right now. Lord Jesus, uh, uh, by your grace, we are redeemed, and we want this dear lady to be a recipient of your grace at all. Now, we don't buy this position that she's an atheist, Nobody really is. That's something to say to keep you at a distance for whatever reason. Who knows what it is? Um, but you can break through to her. Thank you for lining up this visit between her and B. It was ordained even from before time so that she would hear and see the message, uh, the gospel, which converts the soul. And that's what we, would, we pray on her behalf, that she would be convicted of sin. She has it. And judgment, you're a righteous judge. And uh, right standing, how to be right with you through faith and your finished work on the cross. Thank you for B's obedience. Thank you for blessing her. Uh, thank you for entrusting this wonderful opportunity to her. And we look forward to the day when this dear lady, Grace, would come here and share her testimony. And this we pray in Jesus' name, amen. God there, bless you. There's one other thing. Yes. The operator told me, she said, I heard you talking. I knew where you were going, and I started praying. <laughs> Look at that. Wonderful. God bless you, B. Oh, I'm telling you, wonderful, wonderful, wonderful. I asked B to share because I just personally wanted to, um, me and you, be aware of the situations God gives us all the time to share our faith, and that was just a wonderful opportunity. Is Roy Gage here? Brother Roy, could you join me? This is Roy Gage, and uh, Roy made the mistake of coming to visit with me yesterday, and we pulled off to the side, and we we're just sharing about different things, and he shared with me a wonderful story, and I wanted for him uh, to share it with you, and I'm so glad he's willing. Roy is a really faithful member of the church, works in prison ministry and all the rest, and is just a great, great brother. And uh, so, Roy, we'd be pleased to hear what happened to you on an airplane. Well, can I tell you why I was on the airplane? Please. Okay. Well, uh, a few uh, optimistic Aggies 
and myself went to Tuscaloosa, Alabama for a, a lesson in humility. And on the way back, I uh, sat in the fourth row. The plane was a lot quieter than it was going. And uh, there was a man in the aisle, in the window seat, and he just overflowed the seat. He was a big man. I took the aisle seat hoping that a, a smaller person would take that center seat. But sure enough, a little lady came in. She was about four foot two, very small lady. Very, as she sat down, I whispered in her ear, You're the, you are the perfect person for this seat. And she was. Well, we, uh, I was reading a book by MacArthur, and she noticed the title. We got into a conversation. And it ended, uh, it turned out to be a whole flight a conversation, very good. And I told her about the missions program here. And she told me about the missions program at the Sugarland Baptist Church, in which she and her husband are teachers. And uh, later on, I, later in the conference, I said, you know, we really sh should be emphasizing uh, personal evangelism. And we have this pastor at our church who has these 40 words that he challenges us to, to use. So I got through about probably 26 or 27 of those words. <laughs> but uh, at any rate, I, I, I did explain why, how we used it. And then I turned back to my book for a moment. And uh, she turned away and was talking to this gentleman on the seat. And she turned back, she hit me in the arm and she said, it works. <laughs> and, uh, she shared with him she shared with him and I said well did you ask him what the greatest day in his life was she said I did and I said and she said it was the day that he was saved oh my goodness <laughs> so he was a believer also he was a believer all the way wonderful wonderful God bless you Roy thank you so much for sharing we're sorry about the outcome at the football game but it was worth the trip Wonderful, wonderful, wonderful. I think the enemy wants to persuade us that people are not open to the gospel. It's really a lie. Many, many more are open than are not, and we have got to just test the waters and find that out. God bless you, brother. Thank you for sharing that. Do you know Katya Banfield? Oh, okay, well, that's enough. Uh, Katya, I would like to ask you to join me, and uh, Katya had uh, an opportunity this past week to uh, share her faith. And uh, I and others were on the receiving end of how this was happening by, by text. Katya was texting various ones of us each step of the way, and each text was more um, exciting than the previous one. And you'll see what I mean. Please tell us what happened. Well, um, Thursday I had this young girl working in my house and I've known her mother for quite a few years. Anyway, we're walking to the garage, and I'm walking behind her, and, and something you said last week that we are just living our life, and we're not paying attention to the opportunities that we have. So when we got out in the garage, I said, um, do, you, do you go to church? And she said, we just started going. And I said, oh, well, have you received Christ as your Savior? And she said, what does that mean? And I said, if something happened to you today, where would you spend eternity? And she goes, nobody knows that. And I said, I know. And so I shared the gospel with her, and, I, and she, watched, she prayed, and she was so excited. 
two hours later, her mother shows up. And so um, I said to, to the mom, who I've known for 18 years, and I've always said, do you want to come to church? Do you want to do this? Do you want to do that? But I never asked her, have you accepted Christ? So um, anyway, I shared with her the gospel. She listened, and uh, she said, I've just never heard of this before, but I want it. And so I prayed with her. So I was so excited. The next day was Friday, and I had a 1030 appointment that I could not miss no matter what. But the lady came back, the mom, with her friend to finish some stuff in the house. But anyway, um, I said, well, did you tell your friend what happened to you? Because then I'm I'm all raring to go. And so uh, she said, "Uh, well, you tell her. And so I said, well, so I explained it all again. And so the girl that uh, accepted the Lord the the day before, she got into the conversation and she said, I just feel so uh, happy that I know the security of my salvation. So I said, and that minute I was about to be late to my appointment. And I kept looking at the clock and I said, okay, I'll come back and pray with you if you want to. I didn't know what to do. So I got in my car and I left, and this was really neat. I got a text message, my appointment canceled. So I turned around, and I went back, and so I finished explaining to her, and I said, would you like to know, accept this gift from the Lord? And she said, yes. And um, so there was three that was right there in my home. That, um, But I guess the main thing I, is that I'd never asked them that question. Have you accepted Christ? Do you know that you're going to heaven? So that's what was so exciting. What a great week. A wonderful, wonderful week, yeah. May you have many more like that. I know. I just feel like I've been sitting on the sidelines. I don't know, but it's, it's exciting. God bless you, Katya. But I didn't use your 40 words. Oh, then it doesn't no. It do- but then they're not really saved. Sorry. No, I didn't. I didn't use it. <laughs> God bless you, Katya. Uh, a great, great privilege. I, lo- I love the... Can you imagine? So Katya had a chance to lead um, the, the daughter, a, a, a younger gal, to the Lord, and then her mother, the, and, and then the mother's friend. And, and uh, these were coming in, as you see, as text. And uh, in just a few, in a concise way, Katya was sharing this. It was just absolutely, absolutely marvelous. Sometimes the Lord will let you be the last link in the chain leading someone to salvation as he did, Katya. But every link is important, you see, as, uh, as we've heard from B and Roy. Please ask the Lord this week to give you eyes to see a harvest of potential souls out there that are ready to hear the gospel, especially in this day of increasing um, instability and in some cases um, hopelessness. We know the God of all hope and he's entrusted us with this marvelous message so easy to share. And I love the way you did it, uh, Katya, just so simply. Have you ever asked the Lord Jesus to be your Savior? Just like that. And one person I think, what did you say said, what does that mean? Or the other said, uh, uh, no, I've, I never heard it that way, or something like that. Wonderful, wonderful, wonderful. And the Lord Jesus came to seek and save those who are lost. That's his primary role. He did not come to be a political messiah. He came to save us from our number one problem, and that is sin. And he's done a really, really, really good job, if only we would respond to him. 
Uh, John's gospel tells us about him because John's intent is the same as that of B and Roy and Katya, and that is for people to hear of the Lord Jesus and believe. That's John's intent. And so he's telling us the story of Christ. Last week, we read a little bit about Christ's stop in a place called Cana of Galilee, and he was there, the invited guest, at a very uh, peculiar wedding, during which time wine ran out, and the Lord transformed, as you know, the contents of these vessels from water to wine. And so would you join me uh, tonight? Uh, We'll proceed where we left off. We're in John chapter 2, verse 12, and you'll see another incident in the life of the Lord, which is quite familiar to you, as you will see. But I hope we can give it a kind of a fresh uh, approach tonight. So John chapter 2, verse 12. After this, again, after the wedding in Cana, which preceded this event, he went down to Capernaum, that is to say, in elevation. Capernaum is a distance of about 20 miles from where he was in Cana. And it was located, still is, on the Sea of Galilee. In fact, if you take a look at the screens, you'll see a bit of a map to give you a a geographic mooring point. You'll get an idea where it is. Can you see the body of water to the bottom of the screen? That's the Dead Sea. And if you follow it upwards north, that's another principal body of water in uh, Israel, it's fresh water, the, dead, the Sea of Galilee. That's Israel's number one source of water. And can you see that the two are connected by a thin blue line? That's the Jordan River. And if you went to the right of the Jordan River, you would find yourself in Jordan. It's a natural sort of dividing line th- between uh, Israel and and uh, Jordan. And so you can see where Nazareth is located, and not far from it is Capernaum. It's located on the northern shore of the Sea of Galilee, just to give you an idea. It becomes a significant place in the life of the Lord because it is there that he established his headquarters, his earthly ministry. Uh, the headquarters thereof was established in Kfar Nahum, the village of Nahum. That's that's Capernaum. And I'd like to show you a little picture that we um, took when we were there. Um, can you see that uh, the ruins of that structure, the light-colored stone, it's a fourth-century synagogue. Uh, but what's significant about it is that the darker stone, basalt stone, beneath the lighter stone, uh, those are the ruins of the original synagogue, and that is the one in which the Lord Jesus actually taught and entered. Down to this very day, you can visit that very place, and there he performed uh, a very astounding miracle there at Capernaum. It's a very special place to visit. Anyway, the text says he went down to Capernaum, he and his mother and his brothers and his disciples, and they stayed there a few days. Does it disturb you to find out that the Lord had brothers and sisters? It does disturb some. Uh, Some want to preserve the specialness of Mary and thus suggest that Mary was perpetually a virgin, you see. They want to really, I think with good intention, um, uh, remind us of what a special personage she is, and so they advance the notion 
that this uh, mention of the Lord's uh, brothers uh, is really a reference to his cousins, they would say. Uh, So as you read in Mark chapter 6, verse 3, specifically there, it talks about uh, the Lord having four brothers and some, some sisters. So the theory is advanced. Uh, uh, I mean no offense in this, but I just want to be honest. Uh, This particular theory is advanced primarily by people from a Roman Catholic background. Roman Catholic theologians uh, want us to uh, remember the specialness of of Mary and thus suggest that she always remained a virgin. But we, we think that's not really based on good biblical scholarship. For instance, Uh, In Matthew chapter 1, verse 25, uh, we are told that Joseph kept his wife, Mary, a virgin until she gave birth to Jesus. And it implies, therefore, after that time, the two engaged in normal marital relationships, which produced other children. So this is just a sort of a side point for you to chew on a little bit. Now, verse 3, the Passover of the Jews was at hand. It was near, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Uh, Passover is one of three occasions that required Jews, males nearby, uh, those who were able to make pilgrimage up to the holy city, Jerusalem. Passover is one of those holidays. It's a time to remember God's great deliverance of the Israelites from slavery in Egypt, And uh, he did this by means uh, of miracles, and in particular, of the application of the blood of unblemished lambs on the doorposts of Jewish homes, so that when the angel of death passed over, that's that's how they got the name Passover, when the angel of death passed over and saw the application of the blood on the doorposts of the homes of the Israelites, death was forced to pass over, you see, because of the blood. Uh, You and I know this is really a foreshadowing of the ultimate Lamb of God, the Lord Jesus. Don't you find it ironic, I do, that the ultimate Passover Lamb, the Lord Jesus, who's going to come and shed his blood uh, to provide atonement for all our sins, is making his way, this very Passover Lamb, up to Jerusalem to participate in this ancient uh, Hebrew festival during which time Uh, other Passover lambs would be offered in uh, sacrifice. It was a difficult journey, for sure, to travel by foot from Capernaum up to Jerusalem. It uh, was a distance of about 85 miles, and I'd like you to see a little bit of an artist's depiction of what it might have looked like. You see they're going up, always up, to Jerusalem. Uh, for a few reasons. Uh, Geographically, Jerusalem is a higher elevation than the surrounding areas, but they were also going up in a spiritual uh, sense. And so uh, this is what the Lord was doing to make his way there. And he wasn't alone. Take a look at this next uh, depiction. Many, many people would be making their way up, see, up to Jerusalem. They would be going from all over in caravans, and then from a distance at a certain point, they would see this gleaming uh, structure, the temple that was built in Jerusalem. The sun would shine on it. There'd be gold and marble and all the rest, and their heart is beating fast. They're about to enter into the gates of Jerusalem and participate in the worship of Almighty God at this very, very special temple which he ordained. 
And the text tells us in verse 14, and he, the Lord, found in the temple those who were selling oxen and sheep and doves and the money changers seated at their tables. So here's what happened. People, because it was a pilgrimage feast, would be coming from all over the place to Jerusalem. It was a time during which you would sacrifice your, your lambs uh, as atonement for, for sin. And so they could bring their animals with them, but it would be cumbersome and quite difficult to do so because they're traveling from a great distance. And so they were prepared to purchase animals to offer in sacrifice when they arrived in Jerusalem at the temple. And there would be manifold people there ready at a great profit to sell livestock to these pilgrims, some of whom were, 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 were extremely poor. Uh, but there was a bit of a problem. The pilgrims would be coming with currency from all uh, the nations of the world to which, in which they lived, from Greece, and uh, they'd have Roman coinage, maybe Egyptian coinage, but none of this was acceptable for this particular use because the Roman coins, for instance, had inscribed on it all kinds of pagan symbols uh, and also the images of the emperors. And so you couldn't use it. You could use these coins for ordinary transactions, but not in the temple. You had to use special coinage, kind of clean or kosher coins. And so you'd have to visit one of the money changers in order to turn in your unclean currency for that which was clean. And there would be, therefore, money changers there, and they would help you to do this. But they would charge an exorbitant fee in order for you to do this. Here are some coins, take a look, uh, found by archaeologists so that you, you could see. Uh, the coin on um, the, the left is Roman, and then it has to be converted to the coin on the right. Uh, that's a shekel, a shekel, and this was part of the sanctuary currency. So you had to go from non-kosher to kosher coins, and the money changers would be very, very anxious to assist you in this, again, at quite a terrible fee. Now, there was a time in Israel when all of this merchandising and money changing did not take place uh, by the temple. It took place across is a valley called the Kidron Valley, it's to the east of the temple, Kidron Valley. And then when you cross the Kidron Valley, you get to an elevated area called the Mount of Olives. And this merchandising and money changing used to be located there on the slopes of the Mount of Olives. Over the years, however, the money changers were moved much, much closer, in fact, into the temple precincts, probably by uh, the high priest in order to increase his profit margin. Let's just make it all the more convenient for people to have to use our services and pay us uh, for them at a great, great uh, profit. So this is going on now that all this commercial stuff is taking place in the temple courtyards themselves. And uh, which courtyard of the temple in particular I'll tell you in just a second because it's going to become quite significant. For now, however, take a look at verse 15. And he, the Lord, made a scourge or a whip of cords 
and drove them all out of the temple with the sheep and the oxen, and he poured out the coins of the money changers and overturned their tables. So uh, uh, just to address this issue, John indicates this issue, the cleansing of the temple, it's called. He indicates that it took place at the beginning of the Lord's ministry. In John's gospel, we are, we're pretty much at the beginning of the Lord's ministry. But if you read the parallel account of this event, in the other three gospels, Matthew and Mark and Luke wrote stories of the Lord as well. If you read those, you'll find out they uh, place this incident at the end of the Lord's ministry. Many critics of the Bible take this to be a discrepancy in the Bible. But I think a simple solution, I don't know if this is actually the case, but it could be. Many scholars uh, think it is. There were two incidents of temple cleansing. One simply took place at the beginning of the Lord's ministry, and one took place at the end. And this is very fitting, a kind of parentheses on the, the sum total of the Lord's ministry, because he's very, very deeply concerned about the proper uh, undefiled and undistracted worship of God in the temple precincts. Anyway, um, the Lord Jesus is not happy. He overturns the table. And uh, he fashioned this whip. And many people are troubled by this because they have an image of Jesus being passive, and peaceful, and I don't know, there but not there. Kind of like a uh, hippie flower child or something. And then you see this image of Jesus uh, angry and expressing it. And uh, with great premeditation, I mean, he made this whip there while at the temple, because you couldn't bring weaponry into the temple, they would have stopped you there. And so he fashioned it. In fact, he probably used the cords used to tie up the animals to fashion this whip. In fact, here's a, an idea of what it might have looked like. Take a look. See, it might have been something just just like this. And so here the Lord takes it and he's quite angry and expresses it. And so it says in verse 16, and to those who were selling the doves, he said, take these things away. Stop making my father's house a place of business. He's angry for sure. You, you, no matter how you explain this, you, you cannot minimize the fact that the Lord is expressing his angry for sure. Now, now, his anger for sure. Now, you may be thinking the obvious reason for it is, look what they're doing. They're taking advantage, particularly of poor pilgrims who are coming to worship Almighty God, and they're uh, seeking to profit financially off of them. That's why the Lord was so angry. Well, you would be correct, but not entirely so, I don't think. I don't think the Lord was just... Uh, distressed by what they were doing as much as by where they were doing it, you see. Uh, if you take a look at this picture on the screen, it's a rendering of uh, the temple and its courtyards. So there you can see the temple, the structure sort of in the middle, and it's surrounded by different courtyards. Uh, the one furthest from the Holy of Holies was called the Court of the Gentiles.
house. And then as you got a little closer, there was the court of the women. Then as you got a little closer to the Holy of Holies, there was the court of the Israelites. And then even closer, the court of the priests. Now the closest Gentiles could get to the holy place in the temple was the court of the Gentiles. That's the court furthest on the outside. That's as close as they could get. And it's in the court of the Gentiles where this merchandising and selling of wares was set up. So uh, I think you'll get a an idea of why the Lord was so distressed. If there was a Gentile whose heart was being stirred up by life's circumstances or by Almighty God to find the true God, the giver of life, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and if that Gentile came seeking after God, here he would have to stop uh, in the court of the Gentiles. That's as far as he could go in trying to establish a connection with Almighty God. But what would he run into? Noise and smells and uh, crowded conditions. He Not only would not, he not be able to pray and worship God, he'd have to be careful where he's stepping, if you know what I mean. It's filled with animals, for crying out loud. And you have hucksters saying to these seeking Gentiles, hey, hey, come here, I'll give you a better deal than this guy over here. And there would be bargaining going on and all the rest, all kinds of distracting, unholy and impure merchandising and money changing would be taking place here. Here are Gentiles in need of the knowledge of the God of Israel. And the Israelites are so caught up in their own stuff and profiteering that they're missing opportunities, the likes of which B and Roy and Katya took advantage of this past week. They're not pausing to think about one of those Gentiles needing to hear the good news message about the Lamb of God who came to be the ultimate Passover sacrifice. No, instead they're thinking about um, improving their financial situation on the backs of poor and needy Gentile visitors to the temple precincts. And so uh, the Lord was quite, quite upset about this. Instead of looking for opportunities to talk to Gentiles about him, the Israelites uh, themselves became distracted by the stuff of life and lost their entire mission on earth, was, which was to spread the wealth and call people's attention to the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And so to bring it home, I have to ask myself the question, what about me? And if you'll allow me to do this, well, I mean, what about us? Have our lives as Christians become so filled with perhaps not blatantly sinful things, just mundane things, just the stuff of life to such an extent that a, sinking, a, a, a seeking person who can get no further to Jesus than us can't even find him in our lives because we are so caught up with the stuff of life. I think I shared with you a week or two ago, it made me feel good to confess it to you. Um, uh, I ordered something and it 
was supposed to be delivered to our house uh, two hours before it actually was, and when it finally got there, I was irate, and uh, I didn't fashion a, a, a whip like the Lord did, but if I knew how to, I maybe I felt like it. I mean, why are you telling me you're going to be here two hours, and you, you come in two hours late? Don't you think I got I things, things to do? You know, what, what, what's up? Well, I didn't actually say that, but uh, I'm sure I communicated it in my non-verbals, and about the last thing in the world I was thinking of is that this guy carrying this parcel uh, may be without the Lord Jesus as his personal savior. And should he pass on that particular day, he would pass into an eternity entirely uh, separated from a holy God. I, I didn't even think about that at all. I was no different than a Jewish person in the temple precincts thinking about the stuff that, con, that concerns me. But no, folks, we're ambassadors for Christ. Well, I, I apologized to the Lord and accepted his forgiveness and, and, all, and all the rest. But I, I can see myself becoming just like these people. How about you? I mean, we wake up and in the day we have our own agenda, don't we? I have to get this done. I have to get that done and so on and so on. But what about the Lord's agenda through our day? And so the times when we're distressed by a traffic jam or a long line at McDonald's or who knows what, um, which is interfering with our agenda. Yeah, but what about the Lord's agenda? Doesn't he want to see every person as someone who presents an opportunity to talk to about, about the Lord Jesus? So I wonder, are there things in our lives visible to others that may be distracting them from the Lord Jesus? I'm certain any seeking Gentile in the court of the Gentiles would have found little or no reason to be attracted to the lives of any of these Israelites, any of these Jewish people at the time. There was nothing to endear them to them. It wasn't a word, a look, or a touch. It was to exploit these people at a time when these people were so needy for, for the Lord Jesus. Is there something in your life or mine that people notice? Do people see you or I to be irritable, easily irritated with them, moody, distracted, poor listeners, mean, not cheerful, impatient. Do people see those visible walls and barriers? It may be that they can't get one step closer to the Lord Jesus any more than these Gentiles could go further than the court of the Gentiles because we cause them to stop short because what they see in us it doesn't attract them in any way to go further with the Lord Jesus. Folks, uh, it's important for us to realize whose we are and how important it is for people to see in us a glimpse of the Lord Jesus Christ. So I don't want to hurt anybody or anything like that, but you ought to wake up, you and I, and say, oh God, would you so fill me with your spirit so that people can see you in me? Would you, Prince of Peace, so impart your peace to me that I don't run around like a nervous wreck? And would you make me mindful of the fact that people out there need uh, attention and a, 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 uh, a caring conversation and a word and a look and a touch? And would you, would, would you make me to be more pleasant? Uh, and cheerful for, for the sake of the gospel. And so anyway, the Lord was so terribly disturbed by what happened there. And I, I think 
you know, I don't want to hurt people unduly, but I think he's disturbed with those of us who are his people today because he wants us to so live that we make it easier for people to find their way to him. These poor Gentiles in the court of the Gentiles could in no wise find their way to him. What about us? Do we make it easier for people to believe in the Lord Jesus or, or not? Now, while all this was taking place, the Lord's intimate followers, his disciples were watching and this is what they realized as recorded in verse 17. We'll make this our last verse tonight. His disciples remembered. When they saw all this unfolding, his disciples remembered. Folks, they remembered something they had read in the Bible they had at the time, which was only what we call the Old Testament or the Hebrew Scriptures. They remembered something, and, and, and it says they remembered it was written zeal for your house will consume me. Uh, Folks, that is taken from Psalm 69, verse 9. It is known to be a messianic psalm, meaning it's a psalm pointing to the Messiah. It relates specifically to King David, but goes way beyond him, and it gives messianic indicators What will things be like? What will it look like when the Messiah comes? So they remember reading in Psalm 69.9, wow, one of the predicted things about the Messiah is when he comes, zeal for his father's house will consume him. That's what it says in Psalm 69.9. And now they saw this unfolding in clear view right before their eyes, and it was beginning to sink into them in a more penetrating way than ever before. (gasps) This Yeshua, this Jesus, is the prophesied Messiah. And the zeal he possessed for the things of his father, for his father's house, consumed him. The Lord Jesus was literally consumed, that is to say, put to death, because he was so zealous about doing that which his father sent him to do. The word zeal comes from a a word meaning to be made hot or to uh, boil over. In other words, Uh, This Jesus was on fire for the things that concerned his father. I'm not Jesus and neither are you. But shouldn't we be seeking the same kind of fire that he possessed? Shouldn't we be boiling over on fire for the things the father wants us to do? He wants us to represent him well on earth. He wants us to so live that people will find it easier to believe in him through us. He wants us to take advantage of opportunities to tell people about the Lord. I had a computer problem. I still do. So I called Apple Care. That's technical support services, you know, you call these people and and they're supposed to help you. So I called, and I was speaking to the, the first person who I had to speak to. His name was Joseph. And during the conversation, 
at, uh, or, or during what he was doing, he had to pause from time to time to let the computer do something. So it was like a dead space. And I had remembered, oh God, I remember why I'm here. My agenda is to get my goofy computer to work. That's my agenda. And then it suddenly dawned on me, but God, your agenda is for Joseph on the other end of the phone. I don't even know where he it was speaking to me from. Your agenda is for Joseph to be saved. So I said to him, Joseph, you know what would be really great? If you could fix my computer over the phone. That would be really great. But Joseph, let me tell you about the greatest thing that ever happened. And listen, you know what I did? I shared... Yes, these very words, count them. All it is is 40 words. Anyone can memorize them. And I said, Joseph, it would be great if you could fix my computer. But let me tell you about the greatest thing that ever happened to me. It's when I realized that God was willing to forgive all my sins through the death of his son, Jesus, on the cross in my place. And I said, Joseph, what do you think about that? And Joseph said, I think that's very nice. And I was getting nowhere with Joseph. But I said, Joseph, thank you for thinking it's very nice, but that's not really what I'm looking for. What, I, what I'm wondering is, do you, does this, how do you respond to this? This is the greatest offer of all time. What does it mean to you? I think it's very good that people like you believe in God. But anyway, he wanted to get back to the... But I want to tell you something. I didn't make much headway with Joseph or anything like that. And Joseph didn't even fix my goofy computer. It didn't work. <laughs> but when I got off, I really felt good because I realized, now, God, I see how you can use a glitch in my schedule, my malfunctioning computer. I could see how you could use that in order to get me to be consumed with your purposes for a guy like Joseph. And God, I did not lead him to you. I didn't succeed in in so doing, but that's okay. I did what I was supposed to do. I, I told him about you. And then, God, would you please do the rest of the work, even in Joseph's life? He seems to be quite indifferent and uninterested right now. But you have the, compa- uh, the capacity through life circumstances to conjure up an interest in his particular uh, life. When I look at what consumed the Lord Jesus, I have to ask myself this same question I ask you. What consumes you? Is it, is it politics? Oh, no, no, no. We should be engaged in politics, informed and interested, but not consumed by it. Are you consumed with your health? We should want to be healthy and live long and and take steps to, 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 to take care of our bodies. I got all that, but... Sometimes I wonder if we Christians are more consumed with our physical well-being than almost anything else. I find this a lot in prayer meetings when over, I mean, the vast majority of the requests, and we ought to do this, please don't misunderstand, but, but we seem to be asking almost all the time for physical well-being. Why are we not praying for the spiritual well-being of a guy like Joseph? over the phone, who's going to die without Christ? Why don't we have the names of people on our heart and mind who we're 
we're concerned about? Why are we not consumed about the spiritual well-being of others and yet find ourselves so easily, I think, consumed with our own physical well-being? Looks, I don't want to be a harsh guy, but when a Christian dies, he or she goes to be with the Lord. I'm not so sure. That's a dreaded event. But when a non-Christian dies, that person is eternally separated from the source of all that makes living meaningful. That person is forever unsatisfied, tormented. That person continues to have needs, but that remain eternally unsatisfied. Folks, I don't want to be unduly harsh or anything like that, but we're not primarily Republicans or Democrats. We're not primarily black or white. We're not primarily male or female, rich or poor, old or young. Those are all wonderful distinctives. But we are primarily Christ's voice on earth. That's who we are. That wonderful couple who was baptized, I think I think I see them back there. God bless you. Thank you for letting us witness your, your baptism. It was quite a blessing. So now let me lay a trip on you. Even though you're only about one week old in the Lord, from the moment you came to accept him as your savior, he enlisted you to represent him to others right away. You don't wait for a year or two years or anything like that. Right away. He says, I saved you because I love you, and I saved you to tell others how much I'm willing to love them. Right now, even new Christians like that. Folks, this is our primary role in life, and we don't want to be like these folks here in the court of the Gentiles who were an impediment keeping people from getting close to the Lord Jesus. We're at an interesting day. I can't pull myself away from the news when I see all these changes and uh, the machinations of government. It's just fascinating to see what's going on. It's unhealthy in many respects, I think. Uh, but God didn't come to make the government healthy. Did you know that? He's more concerned about mobilizing his church <laughs> than he is about anything else. So what consumes you? What, what causes you to boil? What causes you to boil? The other day, I was uh, riding home and I was going in an area, the speed limit was 35. I think I was going 33. There was traffic and all the rest. It was right on Scarsdale. There's a guy with a big truck, you know, guys who have to prove their macho-ness, got to have these big old trucks, you know what I mean? I'm in my little Honda Civic and I'm going, I'm in the slow lane. Man, he is right on my bumper and, and I'm beginning to boil. And then he pulls around me, you know, and he gives me a look, and I give him a look. And, and we're looking, you know, and all this kind of stuff. And, and I want to catch up to him at the light because I want to look at him some more. And, you know, and, and all this kind of stuff. And after looking at him and stuff like that, uh, what am I going to do? Tell him that Jesus loves him? I mean, I was not boiling for one second about the things of God. I wasn't consumed about the things that concerned my father. I was consumed about the fact that that guy dissed me on the road. That's it. Who does he think he is for crying out loud? I pay my taxes, you and your big old truck. 
You think you're something because you're in your big old truck for crying out loud. It'll make you more manly than me, you big old truck driver. You know what? You know, all this, man, I was just invested in my own stuff and totally missed the point. Uh, I'm not here to be treated fairly, though I so much want it. I'm not here to demand my rights, though I'm so much prone to do it. I'm not here to expect justice to... Along the way, though, I really would appreciate that. I'm not here to win friends and influence people, though that's really nice to do that. I'm not here to win people's favor, although I would prefer that. I'm here to be consumed with the things that consumed my father, and he wants me to be a vehicle by which I can make it easier for people to access him. That is our number one lofty purpose in this in this particular life. So we'll end with this. Folks, what causes you to boil? Um, what, what consumes you? What are you zealous for? Let it be as was our Savior. Let it be the things of the Father. And what matters to him are people for whom he sent his son to die. People matter to him. And it doesn't matter what the political affiliation of those people is. It doesn't matter what their skin color is. It doesn't matter what their ethnicity is or gender, anything like that. I don't want to minimize these wonderful um, distinctions that we as humans have. But folks, it isn't about that. For those of us who have been redeemed by the blood of the Lamb, our goal is to make it easier for people to see Jesus, to be the Passover lamb. I want to encourage you this week, make it your business to be so filled with the Spirit of God. You know what that means? That means under the influence. <laughs> That's what that means. That means just be under the influence of God's Spirit in you. That, that means don't, don't, don't interfere with what he's doing through sin. Sin really, really stifles the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. And, uh, and wake up in the morning with a million, I know you have a million things to do, so do I. But all those things are means to the end, not of you getting it all done, but of you passing through the highways and byways and running into people at a beauty parlor on an airplane or even in your own home and remembering to be light that shines so that they can see the Lord Jesus Christ high and lifted up and maybe come to him just in as you and I have. And so, Lord Jesus, we bow before you, first of all, thanking you for saving us and then thanking you for putting us in your service. We think you would, would have done better by, through angels, but you choose us. We're just people. And yet you've entrusted to us this marvelous privilege of representing you to others here on earth while we're here, where... We're amazed by that, and we're so delighted and pleased, and we pray you would help us to be more about our Father's business, and even if we're to be consumed by the things that concerned you uh, as you were, Lord Jesus, so what? Wouldn't it be worth it all to boil over and to be consumed with zeal for our Father's house, that is to say, Father, for the things that concern you? Would you unleash us, oh God, as, a, uh, uh, as believers? Uh, would you unleash us into the world? Uh,
dark place, making us to be much more aware of and intent on uh, so living that people will have an easier time finding you. And this we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.